Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 69. When we come into this world, we do, in fact, come in naked. We don't come in with any kind of love for humanity, love for our mother, our father, love for anyone. We come in totally unprepared for what we are going to learn. Hello, friends. This is Avi Ben-Mordechai. Welcome again to Real Israel Talk Radio. And on this episode of our podcast series of Defining Biblical Love, I'm going to be addressing this concept of what is love from the idea of the love tank. So if you have a few moments to lend us your ears for about 50 minutes, that's 5-0. I'll give you some of my thoughts and ideas here as it relates to uh, Paul's teaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Those 13 verses of that chapter, often referred to as the love chapter of the New Testament. We'll talk about 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, tie it in with the Defining Biblical Love series. Let's continue on where we left off from our last podcast. On our last podcast, we were looking at this idea of what biblical love is and how it applies to each of us today as we're learning to understand what exactly love is all about. And on the last podcast, we addressed this principle that's found in biblical Hebrew, as well as even modern Hebrew. The concept is still the same, whether ancient or modern contemporary Hebrew, and that is the principle that when we say, I have love, or I do not have love. We are not referring to something that comes from within ourselves as though we are the generative source of that love. So you can have a house, a car, a loaf of bread. You can have that lofty ideal called love, You know, I really don't care what you have. The fact remains, according to the biblical narrative that is found in Scripture, regardless of where you go to look for it, you're going to find over and over again the principle that you don't have anything. And when you come into the world, you come in naked. It actually reminds me of something that was spoken about in the book of Job, or Eov, chapter 1, verse 20. Eov, or Job, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yehovah gave, and Yehovah has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yehovah, 
And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. I really actually like that. That's a really powerful point of encouragement when we're all going through really tough times and things have been taken from us and life has a tendency to become just a bit unbearable and we don't know what to do with it and it's it's just so unbearable and we just feel like just screaming. We all go through things in life and it just gets to be a bit unbearable at times. But I think these words can speak into our lives from Job 1, 20 through 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Jehovah gave, and Jehovah has taken away. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. And may it be that we do not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. And in all this, we don't want to be found charging God with wrongdoing as though it were his fault that everything that we have has been taken away from us. And so this will draw our attention to the principle that uh, each of us, when we come into this world, we do, in fact, come in naked. We don't come in with any kind of love for humanity love for our mother, our father, love for anyone. We come in totally unprepared for what we are going to learn because everything that we understand in this world is all about selfishness, and that is the truth. We are not selfless. We are selfish. And so the love that we have is not really love. It is, in fact, just an expression of what we are looking for to meet our own needs. And the older we get, if we never experience that redemptive quality of what Jehovah would love to give to us, if we would just simply say, let me receive your love, then we would be filled with the generative love that he has for each of us. But if we don't do that, I cannot say that we have love. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13 expresses this whole idea, which is why I'm talking about this idea of the love tank. And I'm using it really like a metaphor to explain the idea that when you are driving your car or your vehicle uh, and you are basically (laughs) operating on fumes, well, the same principle is about love. We can't generate that stuff in and of ourselves. I can't generate the fuel that it takes to be able to give love. I'm not generating that stuff. The same thing is true with 1 Corinthians 13 and the love chapter. That's the idea that we do not come into this world with love. We come in naked and therefore our love tank is empty. We are selfish. All we're thinking is, I'm going to scream and cry until I get fed because I'm hungry. Those are the kinds of things we think about. And so I want to speak just for a moment to you guys who are listening to me. I would like to say something that I was speaking about on the last podcast. Your wife, your partner, the woman in your life, 
I'm speaking to you guys here, okay? You are the reflection. You are the conduit. You are the piping mechanism for which divine love is going to flow through you. But what if you don't receive that love from above? What if you say, well, I just don't need that love. I can do it all myself. Thank you very much. What happens then? Then I'm going to say, your love tank is empty. You're operating on fumes. You got nothing to give. How can you give from something that you do not have? I am speaking to you from experience. I'm not here just to pontificate. I'm not here to impress you. I'm just giving you my testimony of what I've understood through my walk of faith. I've made plenty of mistakes. You could ask my wife. I've made plenty of errors in my understanding of what it means to love, and it's cost me dearly. So I'm speaking to you truthfully. If you have an empty tank and you have not gone to the great eternal source of love to receive what he wants to give you, then I am just noise. That's all I am, which is exactly what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, when he says, if I were to speak with the tongues of the godly, righteous, beautiful prayers of men and even angels or messengers, if I think that I'm going to just somehow give out a bunch of love to others, but I have not yet received it unto myself, I have not yet emptied myself in order to be filled with his love, then I am just noise. That's all I am. And that means I'm noise to my wife. I'm noise to my partner. I'm noise to my children. I'm noise to my friends and my family members. And I'm noise to everyone around me in my congregation. If I do not receive his love towards me, that is what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is addressing, if you put it back into its Hebraic linguistic context. That's what we mean when we say, Ainly ahava, I have no love. Or literally, there is no love towards me in that I am not receiving that. Whatever you choose, that's what's going to be in you. If you find yourself to be totally bankrupt and empty and you have nothing, if you're just operating on fumes, if that's your fuel, fumes, nothing, vapors, then you will have nothing to give. And if you have nothing to give, then there will be nothing that anyone else can receive. Because you don't give from yourself. You give from Him. You are not the source. You are the conduit. You are the piping for the Spirit of Truth. And it's up to others to receive Yehovah's love as you are reflecting it and giving it out to them from Him.
That's how it works. That's how the body works, as far as I understand it. And so you married guys out there, or you guys that have relationships, even boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, or you're engaged, or you're getting ready to get married. Guys, if you're not taking the love from Yehovah as he's generating it and wanting to give it to you, if you're not a willing participant to receive it from him, then you will have nothing to give to your partner, to your wife, to your marriage partner, to your friends, to your family. You'll have nothing. You'll be empty, totally empty. And that is why this is so important to understand this. That's why I'm driving the point home over and over and over again. I know I'm probably sounding a bit repetitious, but it's okay. I think we need to hear it. So if you speak lofty words of prayer or prophecy, or you are doing this great thing or that great thing, or you think you're loving everyone around you, but if you don't have this kind of giving love that Paul is mentioning in the love chapter, if you haven't received it, then what's happening is your love tank is empty. And if it's empty, there's nothing more than a container that is dry and dusty and on E. It's not on F or full. It's on E. And I'll tell you, guys, if you're married, if you have a wife or a woman in your life and you're not giving to her anything, if you're not filling her as Jehovah's conduit of love towards you, if you are not doing that, then I say from my own experience, I can testify that your wife, your woman is going to be empty. And don't come complaining when she goes to look for love somewhere else. That's what marital affairs are made of. There is no love coming from above. You don't receive it, therefore you can't give it out. So where does all this lead us? It leads us to understand and know what it is that we need from Him. Thus, it is impossible for me to give something out when I don't even actually have, nor do I possess that something. So once again, it brings us back to the following statements that I want to read from you. Again, Matthew 10, 8, Yeshua says, Freely you have received, and therefore he says, freely give. But if you have not freely received what he wants to give you, then you are empty. And if you're empty, then you can't freely give anything because you have nothing to give anyway. Therefore, it takes us to 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. That is the idea. We love him because, causal, because he first loved us. 
He gave us love. He filled us up. And therefore, our spiritual body, our neshama inside, our soul, it takes that great love that has been given to us, and then it takes the nutrients out of it, and it helps us to grow. And as we're growing in His love by receiving it, we are able to give it out 100%. That's why we are able to love Him, because He first loved us. So He gave us the love that we need so that we can respond with the love back towards Him. And I'll have more to say about this in upcoming podcasts when we get into more of these relational ideas. All relationships are difficult. You're listening to me and you're saying, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. They are. Relationships are not easy. They are complicated. They are difficult. And relationships take a lot of work. But we can do it because we are relying on Him to give us everything that we need. So with these thoughts... Paul then goes on to elaborate with the following teaching from 1 Corinthians 13, 2, and 3. And though I have prophecy, or the gift of prophecy, and it is a gift, you don't generate it, it's given to you. And you understand all mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, and you understand all knowledge, and you have great wisdom in the Torah the prophets, the writings, the New Testament, Brihada Shah, and Yah has granted you some great insights into things. You could have all of that. You could even remove mountains and say, get out of here and move over there. Yeah, even if you had that. But if you have not received love, as we say, ainly ahava, If I have no love, meaning it has not been received into my life, given unto me, I haven't assimilated it. I haven't received it into my soul from the one who generates it for me freely. If I have not done that, then I am nothing. Paul says it. And he's right. He's totally correct. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and yes, even though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, meaning I haven't received the love that Jehovah wanted to give unto me so that I could be a conduit and give it out to others, If I don't have that from him, because I haven't received it, it profits me nothing. Zero. Or as we would say in Hebrew, klum. Empty. It's nothing. It's zero. It means nothing. Absolute nothingness. And so I would ask the question, why is this? Because if I think that I am a source for love, then I am lying to myself 
and I am lying to Jehovah, my creator, and in truth, I am lying to the entire world. You don't have love. Just admit it. You don't. It has to be given unto you. Yes, it must be given unto you. That is the only way that you are going to have something to give. When you receive what Jehovah wants to give to you, when you receive it, then it becomes assimilated into you, and he will generate it and grow it, and then you can give it out. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And I addressed that in one of the previous episodes of this Defining Biblical Love series. It's coming from him. It's not that I'm loving myself as though I were some narcissist, that I just got to look at myself in the reflection of the waters, and I have to say, wow, you're just really something else. Wow, you're just awesome. No, I'm not awesome. I'm nothing. I have to receive the love that he wants to give to me. So if I think that I am a source for any of that love, I am a liar. And therefore, I have no truth. I have no power to love anyone in and of myself. No, and neither do you. Because in your flesh, in my flesh, that is, what I inherited from the spiritual DNA, the genome of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, through their imprint of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil, the Etzadat Ovirah, because of that, which comes down line into your flesh, it's corrupted you as it's corrupted me and, and it's corrupted every single human being on the face of this planet Earth. Therefore, in your flesh you are nothing. Then I must agree with our Creator in Holy Scripture, in the Bible, that I am a fallen man without His redemption, without His restoration, without any change from above. Yes, I am a fallen man in the line of Adam. And in this matter, I don't have any power in order to love. Kind of reminds me of that song with Huey Lewis and the News, The Power of Love. You remember that song? Boy, that was a great song, wasn't it? But the power of love is going to come from him, not from me. So what I want to do is after the break here that we're going to take, I would like to come back and talk about what Paul says. Let's take a look at this more closely, more accurately, so we can properly put it into practice. And if you would like further information on the things that we're talking about here and what we're learning and, uh, you know, just some of the podcasts that we have done over the, the last year or so, you can follow it on our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. 
Okay, let's take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back to part two of our study on the love tank and biblical love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Let's take a closer look at more of these verses and how they apply in our understanding of what it means to have love. Okay? I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is Real Israel Talk Radio. This is Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. We're here to explore and discover insights into the ancient biblical, Jewish, and Hebraic ways of understanding and interpreting the Bible's lessons and narratives. We will return for the second half of the program after this short break. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 69. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. And I'm Avi Ben Mordechai here on the second half of our podcast. We're looking into the definition of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter of the New Testament. Now, what is important to understand here is that from ancient Hebraic linguistics and, you know, ancient Jewish biblical culture, It is better to correctly express this idea in 1 Corinthians 13.1 to express the idea that if I have not received the gift of Jehovah's love toward me, if I haven't yet or ever received it, or perhaps if I struggle to receive that love toward me, which is a source of love that is outside of myself and also outside of yourself, then uh, it simply means that I have not opened myself up to receive from him so that I can, in fact, give. If I am speaking lofty words of prayer or prophecy, but I have not received the divine love that he wants to give toward me, then how in the world would I ever be able to love someone else if I cannot receive love from him? So I must first take in and receive love in order to give it out or send it out which is not always so easy, as we all know. I mean, I must admit, it's uh, easier to speak about it than it is to actually do it. It is impossible for me to give of something that I do not actually have or possess. That is a logical and true statement. Matthew 10, verse 8. Yeshua said, Freely you have received freely give. And 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. So continuing on with these thoughts, Paul then goes on to elaborate 
So let's take a look at some of these ideas and uh, we'll go from there, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, even though one would bestow all of one's goods to feed the poor, and yes, even though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. This connection to being burned brings no shortage of dispute among many scholars, but most scholars are in agreement that this idea, this connection, is that of martyrdom, or perhaps a voluntary choice to submit to a burning, even perhaps by an enemy, leaving the choice open to a couple of different possibilities. And uh, there are even some scholars that might indicate that it means to have someone make a brand or a mark as a slave on you by branding uh, in order to sell yourself off as a slave and to present the purchase price to charity. Oh, you know, it's possible. But uh, I lean toward the idea that when Paul said, I give my body to be burned, that it might have a connection in his mind to the idea that was found in the fourth book of the Maccabees, or the Hashmonaim. So let's take a look at the fourth book of Maccabees, chapter 5, verse 1, to get kind of a brief context as to what Paul may be referring to from the generation of the Hashmonaim or the Maccabees. In 4 Maccabees 5.1, we learn the story that there was a tyrant ruler by the name of Antiochus, and he ordered the guards to seize each and every Hebrew and to compel them to eat pork and food sacrificed to idols. That was the primary context of that particular story. And if any was not willing to eat this defiled food, the food that Jehovah had said, don't eat of it, then they were to be broken on the wheel and killed. And when many persons had been rounded up, there was one man, Eleazar by name, he was a leader of the flock, according to the story. He was brought before the king. He was a man of the priestly Kohanim. And uh, he was learned in the law, he was advanced in age, and was known to many in the tyrant's court because of his philosophy and his way of life. So when Antiochus saw him, he said, Before I begin to torture you, old man, I would advise you to save yourself by eating pork, for I respect your age and your gray hairs. Although you have had them for so long a time, it does not even seem to me that you are a philosopher when you observe the religion of the Jews. Why, when nature has granted it to us, should you abhor eating the very excellent meat of this animal? And then Antiochus goes on to say that it is senseless to not enjoy delicious things that are not shameful and wrong, 
to spurn the gifts of nature, and it seems to me that you will do something even more senseless, for if by holding a vain opinion concerning the truth, you continue to despise me to your own hurt. Eleazar is listening to Antiochus go through his whole diatribe, and Antiochus continues on saying, I want to have compassion on your old age, but I can only do so if you will honor my humane advice. When Antiochus, who is referred to as a tyrant, urged him in this fashion to eat meat unlawfully, Eleazar asked to have a word. And when he received permission to speak, he began to address the people as follows. And he says, We, O Antiochus, who have been persuaded to govern our lives by the divine law, think that there is no compulsion more powerful than our obedience to the law, to the Torah. Therefore, we consider that we should not transgress it in any respect. Even if, as you suppose, we had wrongly held it to be a divine truth that is uh, given to us by Jehovah, he says, not even so would it be right for us to invalidate our reputation for piety. So the point being made here is that even if we were wrong, even if we totally didn't understand this whole principle that God has said, don't eat this stuff, even if that were not true, then still we wouldn't even do it just for the sake of our own reputation for piety, which is an important point. But you see, Eleazar had received the divine love of Jehovah. He knew it to be true. Therefore, for him, it was better to die than it was to eat something that the Torah had forbidden. So Eleazar then goes on to say, therefore do not suppose that it would be a petty sin if we were to eat defiling food to transgress the law in matters either small or great, for in either case the law is equally despised. Then Eleazar continues saying, you scoff at our philosophy as though living by it were irrational. How many people have you had say that to you in your life, saying, why do you keep all this Torah nonsense? Why do you keep all these religious rules and regulations? What's wrong with you? Are you insane? Are you irrational? And then some others might even come to the point of saying to you, you have fallen from grace. Oh, I've heard it myself. And so Eleazar says to Antiochus in 4 Maccabees 5.27, it would be tyrannical for you to compel us not only to transgress the Torah, but also to eat in such a way that you may deride us for eating defiling foods, which is most hateful to us. But you shall have no such occasion to laugh at me, nor will I transgress the sacred oaths of my ancestors concerning the keeping or guarding of the law, not even if you gouge out my eyes and burn my entrails. When Eleazar in this manner had made this great eloquent speech to the exhortations of that 
tyrant Antiochus, the guards who were standing by dragged him violently to the instruments of torture. They stripped the old man, who remained adorned with the gracefulness of his piety, and after they had tied his arms on each side, then they scourged him, and though he fell to the ground because his body could not endure the agonies, he kept his reason upright and unswerving. One of the cruel guards rushed at him and began to kick him in the side. 4 Maccabees 6 then gives us another statement. And if we should be despised by the tyrant as unmanly and not even protect our divine law even unto death, therefore, O children or sons of Avraham, die nobly for your religion. And so, 4 Maccabees 6, 24 through 27, it says this, When they saw that he was so courageous in the face of the afflictions, the guards brought him to the fire. There they burned him with maliciously contrived instruments. And when he was now burned to his very bones and about to expire, He lifted up his eyes to God, and he said, You know, O God, that though I might have saved myself, I am dying in burning torments for the sake of the Torah. Then he says, Be merciful to your people. Make my blood their purification, and take my life in exchange for theirs. And after he said this, the holy man died nobly in his tortures, And by reason, he resisted even to the very tortures of death for the sake of the Torah or the law. What I want to point out to you in this historical record given to us in the fourth book of the Maccabees or the Hashmonaim is that of what Eleazar said in 4 Maccabees 6.29. Make my blood their purification and take my life in exchange for theirs. And then he died. And so, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, if you should understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and you should have all faith, and you should be of all great piety, even if you were to bestow all your goods to feed the poor. And yes, even though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. The point being made here is that of an exchange of a life for a life. Love is much, much bigger than just a bunch of emotions. Love is defined by the Almighty Eternal One as giving of yourself and dying for another. Love is an action. That is true love. We know in Hebrew Scripture that the divine concept of a life in exchange for a life is quite biblical. In Deuteronomy, the volume, chapter 19 Verses 20 and 21, we learn the following principle. When judges hear the testimony of both sides in a legal case, 
They are to judge with justice and not think in some way that they can skirt the truth by corrupting the truth. So therefore, Moshe writes, those who remain shall hear and fear after the judgment is given in a court of law. And he says, here and after, they shall not again commit such evil among you. And then Moshe writes, for your eye shall not pity life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And we know from this idea that it is entirely plausible for one to give his life in exchange for another. And so this takes us then to Exodus or Shemot 32, 30 through 33. Let's read it together. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moshe said to the people, you have committed a great sin, referring to the sin of the golden calf event that happened there at the base of the mountain, Mount Sinai. So now I will go up to Jehovah. And Moses says, perhaps I can make an atonement, a covering for your sin. Perhaps I can stand in your stead and avert any kind of judgment on you by having Jehovah listen to me and do what he wishes with me. So then Exodus 32, 31, Moshe returned to Jehovah and he said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. So Moshe says, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, please, if you would do this, Moshe says, but if you cannot do that, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. I'll say that again. He says to Jehovah, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And Jehovah said to Moshe, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. The implication is, I will not allow you to do this on behalf of the people, because Jehovah had a plan. And the plan was that there would be a messianic hope. And it's that messianic hope through the Messiah who would come to do it for the people. That is the whole picture of Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our shalom, that is, our healing wholeness, that was upon him. And then that final statement of the verse says, and by his stripes we are healed. Now the term stripes, as it's used in Isaiah 53, 5, is actually the Hebrew term chavura. That is a Hebrew word that refers to an association of a friendship, a linking, a connection, an association, a joining through an associating friendship. In other words, 
an association or joining to the Messiah is what allows us to be healed. This is an association or a link to one who is our friend. And because he is our friend or is our brother, therefore, whatever happens to him is happening to us. That defines the concept of divine love. So it is that Yeshua is quoted as saying in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends, which reflects the statement that Yeshua said in John 10, 15, As the Father knows me, even as I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So therefore, we learn in 1 John 3.16, as part of our definition of what love is all about from above, by this, by what? By the fact that we are able to receive divine love and to give it out after we have received it, meaning we can love because we have first been loved. By this we know love, meaning by this we experience love. Because the Hebrew word for know, yada in Hebrew, this is an idea that is involving experience. It's not just an intellectual, cerebral exercise. It's to know love and We know love because Yeshua laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, even like Eleazar of the Maccabees of the Hashmonaim. Therefore, 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's goods... If you should have gifts and prophecy and all kinds of things, but you see your brother in need and you shut up your heart from him or her, well, how does the love of God abide in you? How is it possible? So it is said in 1 John 3.16, My little children, my sons, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth. And that's the point of love. Now, we're going to come back and continue where we left off here and bring it home through this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because it is something that we need to understand that you don't manufacture love in and of yourself. You must be given the love first, and then you can give it out. That is the only way that this teaching in 1 Corinthians 13 will work. And so I will say to you men, particularly, if you are married or if you are preparing to be married anytime soon, then I will tell you men straight up, Marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But at the same time, marriage is also something that is going to challenge you to no end. When we get married, we are signing our own death warrant. 
We are. We're signing our own death warrant. Because what we are saying is, I will die for you. Because marriage is becoming one. It's not about sex. It's about becoming one. One with another. We're saying, I will give up my life for you. What exactly does that mean? I think it means exactly what Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Messiah, if there is any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. That's that unity of oneness of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it is not like as the world tells us, it's just a bunch of ooey, gooey feelings of oceans of emotion and a dopamine rush and all kinds of things that make me feel good. No, 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 that's not what it is. It's what we are doing to serve another because we have first received the love of Jehovah toward us. And if that hasn't happened, none of this makes any sense. Now, we're going to come back on the next podcast, and we'll get into 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and following. Have a great week. Enter into receiving the love that Jehovah has for you. This is Real Israel Talk Radio.